You're listening to Smith Talk with Keith Smith. That would be me, free-thinking American educator, bringing you conservative commentary and analysis on the news of the moment, along with life advice and random facts. Currently, I teach civics and economics to high school seniors. I am a U.S. military veteran, active duty Air Force, Army National Guard, and Air Force Reserve. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Smith Talk. I appreciate everybody who uh, has downloaded these podcasts and listened to them and perhaps shared them. Thank you very much for doing that. Coming to you from beautiful Southern California, rural Southern California, out there in the distance, there is a big diesel-powered pump. It's a water pump, and it is pumping water out of the canal and through pipes into sprinklers onto a field if you can imagine a beautiful green field of alfalfa just starting to come up sprinkling up the alfalfa so beautiful weather here triple digits are gone and we're in the overnight lows in the 50s and the high temperature during the day in the 70s it's the place to be especially for those of you who might be in the cold north Maybe you want to think about becoming a snowbird. I've always thought, tell my parents this, if I were you, I would figure out a way to be here in the winter and somewhere else farther north during summer, but great weather. And like I said, the whole week of school off California, we take off the, for whatever reason, the whole week of Thanksgiving, instead of just taking off Thursday and Friday, like we used to, maybe they still do that in states where they run a sane operation. You get back from the week off and students have turned off their little brains like there's a little switch on the back of their head and they turn it off, power down, and you've got to get them to reach around back there and turn it back on for the last three, three and a half weeks of the semester before Thanksgiving or before winter break, the Christmas vacation. And But anyway, I plan on taking advantage of this time, posting a, a podcast or two, and for sure planning on doing uh, this week a Spanish language podcast at least one this is a bilingual podcast if you look at that list of of episodes there you will see there are some in spanish i put those out when i have a chance to do that uh conservative commentary and and so forth just like i do in english only in espanol and so if you know somebody who is a native spanish speaker perhaps they speak english but spanish is their first language maybe they might appreciate hearing something in spanish so feel free to share those and i know some people have in fact, uh, I, the Spanish language episodes tend to rack up downloads pretty quickly when I, when I do post those. So thanks for that. But a lot has gone on this last week. I think quite possibly the biggest news, top of the fold news over the last week or so is uh, Donald Trump's announcement that he's going to run for president again. Uh, he would be become number 47. So he would be 45 and 47 there are a total of a little bit of presidential trivia here for you. There are 45 men who have been president of the United States. Joe Biden is number 46. And I'm not saying Joe Biden is not a man, although uh, I, we, we must speculate on when he surrendered his man card. So the reason there are only 45 men who were elected president of the United States, not, not necessarily because uh, old Joey, old man who, senile old man who lives in the White House, surrendered his man card a long time ago. No, it's because Grover Cleveland was elected, uh, he was number 22, elected president in 1884, and then again ran for lost, ran for re-election, lost, and then was elected 
number 24 in 1892. So Grover Cleveland is the only president in United States history to, to serve two non-consecutive terms in office. We're going to see if uh, Donald Trump can pull it off and become the second person to have done that, become, become number 45 and 47. And I've seen hats and t-shirts out there already that say 45 and you know 45 and 47 or something like that people who are in the know savvy will know what that is uh let's go ahead and uh let's let's listen to what happened this week i'm going to go ahead and roll for you a little bit of donald trump and um we're going to try to delve into a little bit in into the leftist progressive democrat psyche here associated with that announcement so here we go always have known that this was not the end. It was only the beginning of our fight to rescue the American dream. And it's a word you don't use. Two words. I don't want to be Joe. It's two words. American dream. <laughs> that was not good what he did. There are a lot of bad things like going to Idaho and saying, welcome to the state of Florida. I really love it. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. And there you have it, Donald Trump announcing his candidacy. Took the opportunity several times in that speech to take a few pot shots at uh, Joe Biden, which is an easy thing to do. I listened to the last episode and all of the episodes I posted here. I do it quite frequently. Uh, in fact, uh, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris and uh, the senile old man that lives in the White House provide lots of great material when it comes to that. But I have a line here, a psychic line into the psyche of the average leftist uh, progressive when they heard this announcement. So here, here it goes. This is, this is what, what was going through their mind here. They, they heard this announcement and they had some flashbacks to uh, the moment Donald Trump became president of the United States and here you go. You want to get inside their mind? We're going to do it. It's a dangerous place to go. Now, this is your opportunity to just turn this off if you don't want to go there, but this is what was going through their mind when they heard that announcement. Donald J. Trump is now president of the United States. For what a great address. honor to be able to introduce for the first time ever anywhere the 45th president of the United States of America, Donald Wailing, moaning, gnashing of teeth. Yeah, there you have it. Mental mental breakdown there that's what went on the cloud with the clown music and everything that's uh there you go right into the mind of the leftists that heard donald trump make his presidential announcement saying he's going to run in 2024 the guy never really stopped running after 2020 he's been at it for two years but anyway and you know and it's rightly so that they would melt down like that just the very thought of him being president again because he governed as quite possibly the most conservative president of my lifetime i don't know ronald reagan Gave him some good competition, but, uh, you know, he wasn't perfect. Donald Trump, I don't think he was perfect when it came to fiscal responsibility. He didn't seem to have any problem just spending money hand over fist. However, in this announcement, if you were to listen on to this, he did talk about that, about national debt, among other things. 
and reining that in and being fiscally responsible. And I think he realizes that is uh, something that is needs to be fixed and would like to, to do something about it. So I, I have to believe that he will because pretty much everything all, on all of the big issues, all of the big campaign promises that he made, he did everything he could to bring those to fruition. For that reason alone, the Democrats, the leftists are, are in a tizzy over this. But let's go ahead and it, kind of an interesting phenomenon here. I'm going to read some headlines here, and these are from left-leaning or far-left news sites and fish wraps. And if you've, if you've listened to these podcasts, you've heard me say fish wrap before, and I have to explain things like this sometimes to my students. Fish wrap. Back in the day, if you went to a fishmonger, went to a fish market, and they sold you a fish, they'd wrap it up in a piece of old newspaper. So when I say fish wrap, I'm talking about newspaper. Newspapers, fish wrap. And most of the newspapers that I cite here, that's about all there would they would be good for in print form anyway. So here's a headline for you. Day or two after Donald Trump's announcement, this is from CNN, Donald Trump faces billionaires in retreat and tabloid trolling a day after campaign announcement. Uh, here's another one for you. Trump sets off GOP identity crisis heading into 2024. Here we go. Here's another one. Donald Trump is at his weakest political position in years. Uh, here's another one for you from uh, MSNBC. The GOP establishment could have prevented a third Trump run. Uh, here you here you go from the Hill. Trump may not make it to the primaries or make it through the primaries. And I could go on. So if you've been following, if you force yourself to do this like I do, and sometimes vomit in your mouth as you read these headlines, I, I, I do this every day. And I tell them, so pause here and, and an aside. I tell my students this, and, and in the classroom, I attempt to be as apolitical as possible. I don't do this type of commentary in the classroom. What I do is I tell my students, I want you to think for yourself. I want you to look at the information. I want you to analyze it, th synthesize it, and come up with what you think for yourself. Don't just let yourself be spoon-fed. Don't, you know, TikTok is not a reliable news source. Neither is Twitter. Neither is Instagram. Neither is Snapchat, which is where a lot of these young people get their news. I mean, you see people on, on TikTok. There's a reason why Biden was bringing in and TikTok influencers and the Democrats were dumping money into the accounts of TikTok influencers in this last election, because that's the way you're going to re reach the uh, young brainwashed masses. But anyway, like I tell my students, don't just look at one news source every day. Don't just look at CNN. Don't look at MSNBC. Don't look at PBS. Don't look at ABC. Don't look at, at the Fox News, for that matter, at the same one every day at just one, we tend to gravitate, like I tell my students, we gravitate toward those sources of news that tend to validate our own beliefs. We all do this. I love to read Breitbart. I like Red State. I like Town Hall. I love the Epoch Times. I like The Blaze. I like all of these. But I will force myself to look at other sources. What are those on the left, which is most of them in the mainstream media? What are they saying? And I told my students, look at all the information that's out there and you can piece together and you can come up with what is really happening and what all the facts are and so forth. 
And so looking at these, like I say, vomit in my mouth sometimes reading this crap, but looking at CNN, looking at MSN, look at looking the Atlantic, I went around that. I mean, I had to force them. I can't stand looking at that site, looking at the Atlantic, the Hill, the Washington Post, the New York Times, and down the list. And looking at the headlines, and there are a lot of headlines out there, and it's kind of funny how like CNN does it. Analysis, analysis. And then that right after that comes something like the special counsel poses a threat to Trump's 2024 campaign. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But this analysis seemingly giving advice to the GOP, saying to them, hey, here's some advice, guys. Trump really isn't a good candidate. I mean, he's got all these problems and now he's going to be under investigation. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Like I said, you know, you guys really, you, you know, you really could do this thing right. And, and you know, the, you know, the MSNBC, you can prevent a Trump third term and, you know, Trump may not make it to the primaries. And here's some things that you Republicans might do to make that not happen. And, you, you know, he's a terrible candidate. You guys might lose. You might re Republicans. This is not a good idea. You might lose if you nominate uh, Donald Trump to to be your presidential candidate. I mean, it's a it's a you know it's a dangerous thing. And then then you see uh, this one from CNN. Here's another one from that you know, communist news network. As Biden ramps up for a Trump rematch, Democrats worry he'd lose to another Republican. And you go on and you read this, and they say, Ah, Donald Trump. Yeah, you know, Joey will make a uh, Joey little Joey bag of donuts will make short work of Donald Trump, but oh no, what if they nominate somebody else? And, and you know, of course, hinting that the GOP should rethink this, seemingly trying to convince people not to support Donald Trump. Since when does the mainstream media, the leftist progressive propaganda, Democrat party propaganda apparatus have uh, the interests, the best interests of the GOP and the conservatives in this country at heart? They don't. They really don't. What reading between the lines here, I can tell you what this really means. This means that they are absolutely terrified that Trump will be the nominee. They're scared to death and they're going to do everything they can, as they have been doing for the last several years, to prevent him from being the nominee. They're going to do everything they can to prevent him from being elected president. They've thrown everything at him that they can, everything that they could possibly come up with, lawsuits, the Stormy Daniels kind of stuff, these types of accusations, and nothing really has stuck with this guy. You have the state of New York with these bogus, absolute waste of time uh, investigations and prosecutions and filing charges in civil court instead of criminal court because they've got nothing on the man. You know, who's what's to say whether he's going to be the nominee or not? Who knows? I mean, maybe DeSantis will come out of left field, but they're scared to death of this guy. It's evident in the reaction that a lot of these people had when uh, Donald Trump announced his campaign and also, again, in the reaction to Donald Trump being reinstated to Twitter, his account, account being unlocked on Twitter, even though he said, I'm not going to be... He came out and said, I don't, I don't think I'm going to use Twitter, which aside conversation or a topic for another, another day, it might be a good idea for him to go back on there. Um, he would have a, a far 
more reaching a, a footprint and reach a lot more people on Twitter, I think, than he would on Truth Social. He could probably, if his his deal with Truth, Truth Social would allow him to use both or work out something where uh, an app of some sort, these exist, where if you where you post something on one social media site, it will post it on others. And so work it out so he can post on social media, but it will also copy it and post it on Twitter or something like that. If he could swing it, I think would, would be good for him. But just to see the reaction of, listen to the reaction of all of these celebrities and politicians to his reinstatement. They're scared to death. That, and they know that if he gets back on there, he is going to reach, he's going to reach people that he would, he, the guy had like what, between 80 and 90 million followers. There were people that lost their jobs when he got off of Twitter. That's all they did. There were the, there were people that just followed Donald Trump and every day they made their living off of writing a news story about what he just uh, tweeted out on, put out on Twitter. You know, the, uh, Trump, you know, he would wake up in the middle of the night and was thinking like 20, like 24 seven, the guy was on Twitter. I mean, he was their bread and butter there for a while. Like I said, the reaction of the left to his reinstatement, it, it says everything. You have all of these people saying, just raking Elon Musk over the coals, a lot of these famous people and actors and actresses. Elon Musk is, here you go, Rob Rayner. Elon Musk is letting a man who led a violent insurrection to overthrow the United States government back on this platform. Oh, no. And um, and John Leguizamo, um, Leguizamo, I don't know how to say that, guys, John Leguizamo actor who's voiced uh, he's, he's he's made some good stuff he made a voice did the voice for uh bruno in that most recent disney uh but he's he he said and he wasn't the only one that as soon as trump is reinstated he was going to leave well he's not gone yet he's still there bet midler a tragic day for america anyway i could go on let's go ahead l let me play for you here's some politicians and what they say about donald trump being reinstated to twitter they're scared to death of the man having an audience they they see the writing on the wall, they look at the polling, which we'll get to in just a moment. Here's a montage for you. I think it's a terrible mistake. Hate is a metastasizing agent. The danger that's presented by somebody who's completely unhinged. Anyone who woke up this morning and saw that news, especially here in Washington, had an avalanche of dread hit them. He's going to politicize it. He's going to use it. And all of those domestic terrorists uh, that he's leading will have a voice. And I'm very disturbed about it. And there you have it. Donald Trump is unhinged. He's a danger to democracy. He unleashed an avalanche of dread and, or Elon Musk did by making this announcement. And you hear, the, by the way, these are politicians speaking. Adam Schiff was one of them. And uh, the last one you heard was quite possibly the dullest tool in the shed, Maxine Water, when it comes to Congress who suggested that he was going to politicize the platform and that all of those domestic terrorists that follow him will now have a voice. So she admits that she wants to silence. There you go. She admits that she wants to silence people. She wants social media. Then the Democrats, you know, they, they, they won't come out openly and say it, but she just did on accident. They, they do want to silence those with whom they disagree. They want to shut us up. If Donald Trump really was completely, quote, completely unhinged, why not just let him talk? Seriously, why, why would they not just let say, okay, well, let him go then. Let him talk. Give him enough rope to hang himself with. If he's really that much of a danger, as all of these so-called analysts on the left suggest, and if the GOP nominates him, well, it's over now, their actions refute that. They absolutely 
understand that he has a legitimate shot of being reelected. So here's part of the reason why they are so frightened of Donald Trump right now. From realclearpolitics.com, they track all of the latest polls here at this website, among other things. Monday, November 21st, Biden job approval, and this is from Rasmussen polling, approve 45%, disapprove 54%. Direction of the country, again from Rasmussen, 31% of the people say that the country is heading in the right direction. 65% say it's on the wrong track. For the Republican presidential nomination, and this is a Howard Jar uh, How Harvard Harris, not a Howard Jarvis, Howard Harvard Harris poll, Trump 46%, DeSantis 28%, Pence 7 Cruz 3 Haley 2 Pompeo 1, Rubio 1, Scott 1. Trump's ahead by 18 points in that, or he's up 18 points in that over the last one. General election. This is another Harvard Harris poll. Trump versus Biden. Biden 42%, Trump 44. Uh, let's see. General election, Trump versus Harris. And this is from Friday, November 18th, by the way, these polls I'm mentioning here. So Trump versus Harris, Harvard Harris poll, Trump 47%, Harris 40. She is one of the, the one of the most unlikable people around. A uh, horrible candidate to begin with uh, for president. Uh, let's see, Biden job approval on Friday the 18th from Harvard Harris, approved 43%, disapproved 54%. A Marist poll, presidential jo uh, job approval uh, for Joe Biden, approved 42%, disapproved 53%. Uh, direction of the country, this is on Friday the 18th, Harvard Harris poll, right direction 32%, wrong track 60%. Direction of the country by Marist also on Friday. November 18th, right direction, 30%, wrong track, 66%. Uh, Wednesday, November 16th poll, uh, 2024 Republican presidential nomination by political, a poll by Politico, Trump 47%, DeSantis 33%, Pence 5%, Cruz 2%, Haley 1%, Pompeo 0%, Rubio 1%, Scott 0%, Cheney 1%. Presidential job approval poll on Wednesday, November 16th by Politico. Approve of the president's job, 43%, disapprove 54%. Reuters Ipsos poll, presidential job approval, on, this is on November 16th, approved 37%, disapproved 57%. Presidential job approval poll by The Economist, approved 44%, disapproved 53%, and that was on the 16th also. Um, and I could go on here. So they are absolutely scared to death of Donald Trump because there is a legitimate uh, chance that he could be the nominee. And given these numbers, again, I don't put much stock in in polling, they tend to, most of these polls tend to oversample Democrats, which when you look at the presidential job approval and Trump versus uh, Biden or Trump versus Harris numbers, it has to scare them to death. They understand that these polls oversample Democrats. A lot of them do. And it scares them to death because he poses the greatest threat to the way things have run in Washington, D.C. for a very, very long time. He would not play ball with them. The establishment leaders of both political parties hate his guts. They don't like him because he will call things like he sees them. Yes, he's unrefined, he's un unpresidential, he's a bull in a china shop, whatever you want to say about him, but the guy actually got a lot of stuff done and challenged them, threw down the gauntlet on some stuff, and they're afraid that he's going to take that to a whole nother level. They're going to afraid he's going to do something like say, okay, send me a balanced, bu balanced budget where I shut the government down and I don't care. Go ahead. We'll shut it down. They're also, what they're really afraid of, of uh, with this situation in Twitter is that Donald Trump will 
again. And even, you know, they're freaking out. And he's, even though he said that he's not going to use it, he said he's not going to use it. Like I said, he, it may be a good idea for him to use it because he can reach a lot more people than he can with true social. But he said he's not going to use it. They are afraid that he is going to use that platform. And Maxine Waters said it there to, by the way, did you know you're a domestic terrorist? I had no idea. I was a domestic terrorist because I voted for Donald Trump. They are afraid that he is going to be able to speak to people, to reach people, and perhaps convince them. They, they understand the power of social media. They really do. They're afraid he's going to be able to get his message out. They're afraid that people are going to go out and support Donald Trump and vote for Donald Trump. And they see his supporters, Donald Trump's base of supporters, as an unwashed mass of ignorant people, bumpkins. That's how they see us. And um, they're afraid that he will reach more ignorant people, mind-numbed robots, as, as, as it were, and they've done everything they can for the last several years to try to separate Donald Trump's followers from him, to, to get them to the base of his followers. You see uh, members of the establishment, people on the uh, conservatives on the right, people who have been around for a long time, political donors and things like this saying, well, we don't want Donald Trump this time around and stuff like that. But his base, that's not his base. That's not Donald Trump's base. Donald Trump's base are the average people, your average person who want to change in Washington, D.C., your, your conservative voters, a lot of like Reagan Democrat types who are older now and things like that, supported him. But here's a, a little bit more interesting this last week. this this I mentioned already, John Leguizamo, he appeared on that morning show that comes on with all those old hags on there. What's that show called? The View. I shouldn't say old hags. That's not very nice of me to say, but they are. They're a bunch of... Anyway, I would, I would not want to go near that place with a 10-foot pole. Uh, if I were anybody... I would not want to walk into that viper's nest. But anyway, he uh, appeared this last week on The View. And it, it, a side note here, just because somebody is famous, just because they're a world-class athlete, a professional athlete, or a movie star, an actor, an actress, does not make them any more intelligent or have any sort of credibility uh, more credibility than anybody else. And so they, but they go and they ask this guy for his take on what happened in the, the, the election. And also uh, they talk a little bit about Donald Trump's uh, recent announcement. So I'm going to go ahead and as painful as this is, I'm going to go ahead and roll this interview with John Leguizamo on The View. They come out and you you watch something like this and you listen to the people on that show and 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 this this actor you can get a feel for what's going on again in the mind of the left right as as painful it is to do something like this what they say in the in the in this program are the same things that pe most people on the left are saying I'm sure that there are people in the White House saying similar things Democrat strategists saying similar things so. Here we go. Please welcome the multi-talented John Leguizamo. Latin 
Doors and I hug and kiss. Yeah. I'm sorry. So, That's so, how it's I great to see you here again. You're so talented. We love oh, you. Oh, thank you, Joy. But before we talk about your movie, I want to ask you about politics because I understand that you became very active in the past couple of years. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, since uh, Hillary Clinton, when you know, was running for office, I, I got really involved. At, you know, and I've yeah. uh, been political ever since. So what do you think about, you know, I showed the tape of, you know, the low energy. Yeah, yeah, low energy. <laughs> he seems to be losing it. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's kind of exciting and, and terrible all at once because yeah. if he's a nominee for the Republicans, it's going to undo them because the, he loses suburban women. He, he loses the moderates, the moderate Republican so, independents. Uh, but then the fight on. between him yeah. And DeSantis could be UFC. Yep. That could be fun. It could be fun to watch. Oh, my God. That'd be a blast. But then if he wins, he's going to know how to destroy America. He'll destroy the country. He's not going to win. He can't win again. He loses. Don't say that. Don't say, don't say that. that. We cannot know. get complacent. Dan. No. Don't say don't, that. Yeah, we can't. We, we got to keep our dukes up. And we'll stop it right there. Uh, you know, it's almost like a, listening to uh, getting inside the mind of a schizophrenic person listening to this multiple personality complex. At first, they say, you know, he can't win. He, you know, he's, he, Nagazamo he, says he can't get the suburban women. They don't like him, this, that, and the other thing. And then they turn around and say, well, no, don't say that. You know, you're going to jinx us and, and so forth. But um, they really are terrified, and you can hear it, that they don't want him to be reelected. And they go on to suggest, well, here, go ahead and listen. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I almost think it's like Beetlejuice. I don't think you should say his name. <laughs> like Candyman. I don't think you should say his name. Pause it there again. It's like they've got a case of uh, acute uh, paranoia here or something like this. A very superstitious behavior. Uh, it's like Beetlejuice. Don't say his name. It's like, you know, like, uh, like Lord Voldemort from the Harry Potter se series. Uh, he who shall not be named. The, the Dark Lord. This guy, Donald Trump, lives rent-free in these people's minds. And uh, it, it's it's pathetic, but it's also, it, it makes for good uh, comedic material to an extent. Uh, they're terrified of him being reelected because they know what he's going to do. Again, he represents the an existential threat to the way things operate in Washington, D.C., to big government, to entitlement programs, to fiscal irresponsibility at least uh that's what uh, uh president trump says he's going to one of one of the things he's going to tackle hopefully he gets elected and he does or whichever republican uh candidate is the nominee and hopefully well hopefully they will be elected and they will go after that we just it's unsustainable what we're doing you, you know on a, a side note here you have joe biden out this uh, last week uh or about a week ago saying that he's reduced deficit spending more than any other president in recent history by 1.5 billion dollars well yeah but what he doesn't tell you is that that's because we're not spending all the extra money on covid we're still spending on average deficit spending on average what we were before covid very disingenuous anyway let's roll it here some more and it, uh, they say they do say a couple of more interesting things here i'm going to continue uh, punishing you with this uh the view and legazamo here so couple more things. Very important points to make, though. Listen, I want to stick with, with politics. We've both been celebrating that a Latina saved the Democrats. Oh, yes. Catherine Cortez Masto, yeah, yeah. the just-elected senator in Nevada. But I always feel like people misunderstand the Latino vote. So can you give us Latino vote for morons 101? <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're the largest, one of the largest voting blocks. We're also the largest minority in the United States. Uh, we're the oldest ethnic group in America. 
and, and we vote. But you have to come for us. You have to talk about our issues. You have to knock on our doors. You can't take us for granted and expect us to be there for you. The Republicans understand better, and they're coming for us. They're putting ads in our Spanish radio station on WhatsApp. They come for us, and that's why Latinos are shifting towards them. But just come for us, Democrats. They didn't shift Spend- in Arizona. And we'll pause it there again for a moment. And he... He does say something that's got a very small grain of truth to it here, but he says the Republicans are out there. The Latinos are voting for the Republicans because or or shifting, trending toward the Republicans and voter registration and so forth because they're going out there and they're going after them and they're putting advertisements on Spanish language radio stations and they're going after them on WhatsApp, which is, by the way, if you're not familiar with WhatsApp, maybe you are, it's huge in Latin America and the Caribbean, and also amongst uh, Spanish-speaking people in the United States. Uh, My wife and I, that's the way that we keep in contact with her family now. The family, those of her family members who uh, still live in Central America, very easy way to send messages and talk on the phone, whereas before it was a long-distance phone call. But anyway, and, and says they're going after them on these platforms. Really, you had George Soros out there before the election buying up radio stations, Spanish language radio stations, to turn them into propaganda outlets. The the Republicans, if you listen to my last podcast, I talk about this a little bit. The Republicans, they're starting to do better at this, but it's baby steps. The Republicans is absolutely wrong. He's, he's, he's got a grain of truth. Republicans are trying to do this, but they're not doing it very well, and there's a lot of room for improvement. I'll tell you what's driving Latino voters towards Republicans. And I said this in the last podcast, I'll say it again. Latino families, Latino voters, Hispanic people are very, by and large, very traditional, socially conservative, hardworking. They want the American dream. And they voted for, in in majorities for years and years, for Democrat candidates, because that's just what you did. The Democrat party was the party of the blue collar worker. They were the party of the, the poor they were going to help the poor. They were going to protect people's wages and increase people's wages and things like this. And that's why they voted for it. You know, it's just what you did. Now they see things like, you know, drag queen story hour, all the news stories about teaching children about you know, small children, about uh, gender, the, you know, the, the 101, you know, genders that they allege that there are and uh, abortion. You go to, you walk up, go, go to any Hispanic, any Latino uh, family that's a traditional family and ask them what they think about abortion. And they will tell you that it is a sin and that it's wrong. That is the reason why. And you add to that the economy. It's the economy, stupid. Everybody's suffering. And that is the reason why uh, Latino voters are trending GOP these days, swing in that way. Let's roll it here. And they, they're going to say, I'm going to just get one more little bit here with from Legazamo and these people talking about um, why Hispanics are voting in larger numbers these days for Republican candidates than in the past. And this last one to me is absolutely, I'll just say it's it's repulsive to me, but I'm going to play it and uh, we'll, we'll talk about it here. So here we go. But no, they didn't. They didn't shift in the And they gave us Arizona first. That was the Latino don't vote. I think they, they uh, you know, I'm Puerto Rican. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, uh, <laughs> I claro. think, claro. I think what they do is that they um, use fear tactic, 
acts towards Central Americans, oh, South yes, Americans, yes. Cubans. They start with the communism. They start trigger with words, the socialism. socialism. Yeah, yeah. And they trigger, but they're not really addressing the issues that Latinos no. face. And I'm surprised that we fall for it. Yeah, because we're not we're not as media savvy maybe as we should be, you know what I mean, yeah. as a group. So trigger words do get us. And we'll stop right there. I'm not going to play any more of this. You got Legazamo and this other lady there suggesting that Latino voters were tricked by, quote, trigger words to vote for Republican because they're not as media savvy. Do they get what they're saying here? Hey, all you Latino voters, you guys have been fooled into voting for Republicans because you don't know what's going on. You're not informed. That's got to be one of the most offensive things I've heard in the last week or two about voters or different groups of voters in the United States. That's absolutely not the case. Nobody's getting fooled here. I just explained why Latino voters are trending GOP. And it has nothing to do with being tricked by trigger words like socialism. Oh, they dropped this, the S word, socialism or communism. Yeah, for somebody who's escaped from Central America, I don't, Nicaragua, where you got the, the Sandinistas running the show down there, Manuel Ortega, or maybe Venezuela, and, and these places where they've gone down the road of radical socialism and they've seen what it does. Well, yeah, maybe, but by and large, and, you know, and that's, not, that's not untrue. Today's Democrat Party is the most extreme political party in American history. It is the party of socialism, of radical Marxism on take on any number of levels. Take your pick of issue. You know, they go on, he does go on and say that trigger words can get white people too. Tries to clean it up there a little bit. He tries to say that make America great again is a racist statement, which actually he says means make America white again. I'm not going to play that. And they're, and they're just really hoping that there's a fight between a, a primary fight between uh, Donald Trump and Governor DeSantis. It remains to be seen if DeSantis will announce and run. I I would not be surprised to see DeSantis sit this one out and and wait another four years before he jumps into the fray. I mean, he just finished his first term as governor of Florida and did a just did a bang up job and is doing really well there. So, but we'll see what happens. I mean, maybe he will jump in. Maybe he won't. He'd be a great nominee. You know, I've mentioned before my wife is Hispanic. She's from Central America and. I've tried to get her to participate on this podcast before, both in English and Spanish, and she really hasn't wanted to do that today. She was out, you know, I'm, I'm home today with the kids and, and she went to go meet one of her friends and go to lunch with one of her friends, something she doesn't get to do very often and go do some shopping and things. And so I called her and got her to, without telling her what I was doing here, kind of snuck up on her. And I wanted to get her take on what Legazamo said here and these others. My wife is a Hispanic voter. She's recently became a U.S. citizen. In fact, became a U.S. citizen because she wanted to be able to vote. Uh, she'd been, lived in the United States for quite some time as a legal resident. Uh, she immigrated to the United States legally um, shortly after we were married. And uh, we've been happily married since then. Anyway, uh, let me, let me go ahead and play this phone call with my wife, the, the lovely and gracious, wonderful Mrs. Smith. Hello. ¿Me escuchas? Sí. Okay, so this is Mrs. Smith, my wonderful wife. We've been married for how many years now? 25. Yes, 25 years. Can you tell everybody where you're from originally? I'm from Guatemala City, Guatemala. Uh, very good. And so you became a citizen in 2017, a United States citizen, and you'd been yeah. living in the United States 
since we were married, more or less. Uh -huh. So you have voted in a few elections. Uh -huh. so who did you vote for in the 2020 presidential election? Donald Trump. Why did you vote for Donald Trump? Because um, the economy was doing really good and I could see that the border was secure and this country was and was doing really good. <clears throat> I wanted that to continue with the next president or the next cycle, the next four years. <clears throat> so in this last election, um, did you vote for Republican or Democrat candidates? The the one that we just had in November 8th? Yeah, the midterm election. Yeah, Republicans. Why did you do this? Because I don't like how the country is doing right now. I think um, us having to pay more for gas and our groceries and everything that is happening in this country and not just here but in the world it's because of this presidency and I don't like it and I don't want these to continue. I want to change. I want us to go back when president Trump was the president and things were better. That's why I voted Republican. <clears throat> oh, you were not tricked into doing this by anybody. You didn't, you didn't see any tricky uh, advertising or, or anything like this uh, that caused you to vote Republican. No. Well, I guess that's a pretty straightforward answer. So no, <laughs> no, nobody tried to trick you. And, and um, is, is that insulting to you to think that somebody might suggest that you would have voted for a Republican because you just didn't know better and they were, they fooled you? Yes, that's insulting. I have a brain. I'm smart. I am paying with my own money, the prices that we have to pay for electricity, for gas, for food. Nobody has to trick me into voting for anyone. I am paying it. I'm leaving it. And I don't like it. And I want to change. I want to go back to what we had before. And nobody has to trick me into anything because I'm leaving it. I'm paying it. So for anyone to say that these things are not happening, that this is not real, that it's a lie. And I, well, nobody has to trick me into voting for anyone. <clears throat> well, I apologize for asking you that question in that way. That was kind of a, not a nice way to ask you, but um, anyway, this is uh, wonderful, Mrs. Smith. And uh, thank you. Anything else you want to say and, uh, to the people listening to this, but she did not, she doesn't uh, really want to, you know, not, not wanted to get involved in the podcasting, but I, I think, I thank her for, for participating in this one. Anything you want to say? Uh, thank you for this opportunity. Okay. Bye-bye. And so that was uh, Mrs. Smith there. I just, as I was reading this stuff and, and, and doing this podcast and um, listening to Legazamo and, and talking about this stuff as, uh, this afternoon, I, I thought about my, my good wife, uh, Mrs. Smith, uh, who is Hispanic. She's Latina. And 
uh, has been voting for a few and in a few elections here though i'm gonna call her and ask her and so i did i did text her and say hey can i she has not wanted to participate in these things at all and i said uh hey can i can i call you and and ask you i just ask you a couple of questions like well what are the questions you're gonna ask me and i said they're easy i'll just i'm just gonna but i want i want an answer i didn't tell her what those questions were i said i'm just i want to be able to ask you the questions i, I messaged her this texted it to her and i sent you know, and then she, so she picked up and she did uh, participate in that. And that was cold. Those questions were cold. And those that those were her her answers there. Uh, she is a very intelligent woman. She came here. Uh, she's a wonderful wife and mother. Can't can't say too much about I'm one of the you know top of my list for things I'm thankful for at this time of the year is my wife and the wonderful jo wonderful job that she does, which is a very smart woman. She came here and did not know any English when she came here and you hear her speak English now and she's uh, completely fluent, just all around very talented and person. And I'm blessed to have her uh, as a wife and to taking care, taking care of my children. She's a stay home mom and chose to do that, uh, to be at home with our kids and, and help take care of them. Anyway, Latino voters are not fooled. They're not stupid. And to suggest otherwise for Legazamo or anybody else to suggest other otherwise is, is just, very, very insulting, extremely insulting. You know, it's always those on the left that get a pass for something like this. You know, if it was a conservative making a similar statement about why minorities vote for Democrats, there would be outrage over it. There would, there would be righteous indignation and, and, and that, that would be the response, but not in this case. So, but one last thing about this Legazamo chump, I, I decided looking through the news and I see coming up this week is Thanksgiving. And I see this news story pops up Actor John Leguizamo tweets out, and of course, you got all these people that make their living off of following Twitter. And it, the funny thing about this story is he swore that he was going to leave Twitter. He tweeted out, you know, as soon as they reinstate Trump, I'm gone. I'm out. Well, lo and behold, uh, you know, a day later, he's still on Twitter. A day after uh, Trump was uh, reinstated, he's still on there. And he tweets out, happy Indigenous Survivors Day, F Thanksgiving you know, that's a leftist thing, this indigenous survivors day and trying to turn the Thanksgiving story into, which is not necessarily about the pilgrims, although that's where the, where this tradition originates. It's about giving thanks to God for what we have, for the blessings that he has poured out upon us. And they take something that is beautiful and good and righteous. And again, this is Marxism 101, cult cultural societal marxism and turn it into div let's divide people up and um happy indigenous survivors day and we're going to use this as a day of rage a day of outrage against the system why here here's some so john legazama who is this guy he was he is an immigrant from south america he was born in bogota colombia parents were colombian immigrated to the united states he's done very very well for himself for himself i, I don't get this people come here and he's living the american dream and, and then he's trying to tear down the system that gave him what he's got. Be careful what you wish for. But he, according to just reading here on Wikipedia, research by the genealogical genealogy show Finding Your Roots indicated that Legazamo does not have Puerto Rican, Italian, and Lebanese ancestry, as he is sometimes stated. His family is Colombian, and a DNA test found that his genetic ancestry includes European, mostly Spanish, along with indigenous and distant African roots, which is common. Um, my wife, you know, we've done the DNA testing and everything, and and uh, she 
has a similar ancestry, uh, Iberian Peninsula, North Africa, West Africa, uh, the Middle East, actually. So, you know, up into Turkey and, and the Levant. Anyway, his, so his paternal grandfather was a wealthy Colombian landowner. His great-great-grandfather was mayor of Bogota for 16 years in the late 1800s. And uh, he is a descendant of the 16th century Spanish conquistador, that would be the 1500s, Sebastián de, de Belalcazar. So he is a descendant of a Spanish conquistador. The left is big on atoning for the sins of your fathers. Reparations. You, Mr. Legazamo, are a multimillionaire. How much did Disney pay you to do the voiceover for Encanto? He played that part of Bruno. He did the voice of Sid the Sloth, and there's he's done a lot of other. I mean, the guy's got a lot. He's got he's got talent as an actor. We not much going on upstairs otherwise. So, you, Mr. Legazamo, are descendant of a Spanish conquistador of all of the oppression that happened throughout the Americas. What the Spanish did, by contemporary standards, not by the standards of the time, but by contemporary standards, was pretty bad stuff. I suggest. That if you want to be taken seriously, Mr. Legazamo, that you take your fortune, everything, everything in excess, take your private plane if you got one, sell some of your houses and take all of that money and go find a charity that serves the indigenous people of Colombia and give that money to them in the form of reparations. You won't do it, will you? No, of course he won't do it. He's not going to do that. Because he's a because he's a leftist Marxist, he can, he can shoot his mouth off all he wants. But that's the situation with Mister. I thought I'd just uh, throw that out there about Mister. Uh, Legazamo. So, but the guy does have talent. Kudos to him for that. As most leftists are, he's, he's quite the hypocrite. So back to Donald Trump and his announcement to run for president. One of the biggest news stories this last week. After we take a little break. Check out Year of the Rooster, first 72 hours on Amazon.com. It's available in Kindle format for $2.99 or for free if you have Kindle Unlimited $7.99 paperback version. Year of the Rooster is a novel of historical fiction about war between the United States and China. Far-fetched? Could China pursue global dominance via conflict? If one looks to human history for an answer to this question, the answer is yes. So far, all great empires were born of conflict. All great empires and nations have historically had to fight to maintain their place of dominance. What then would a conflict of this sort look like? How would it begin? The historical record is rife with instances of surprise attack. If you want to be scared out of your mind, take a look at Year of the Rooster, first 72 hours on Amazon.com. General Merrick Garland. He is the head of the Department of Justice. Biden appointee obviously made this announcement just a few days ago. And I'm going to go ahead and roll the audio. I wish, would, that they would have some reporters in here in a press conference type format. He walks out in front of a camera with three other prosecutors that work for him, makes this announcement. He's reading the teleprompter. This guy's just this mealy mouthed, 
looking guy. He's like a deer in the headlights and there's nobody there but a camera and a teleprompter. The guy looks like he's about ready to soil his pants. And you hear the quavering in his voice. He's nervous about making this announcement. Maybe he didn't want to make this announcement. Maybe he got told he had to make this announcement. That's kind of what the feeling I get is like, uh, kind of. He's, he's obviously nervous. He knows this is going to whip up a firestorm of outrage and commentary and punditry, and which it has. Here we are, part of that. So let's roll the audio of what he said here. Good afternoon. I'm here today to announce the appointment of a special counsel in connection with two ongoing criminal investigations that have received significant public attention. The first, as described in court filings in the District of Columbia, is the investigation into, into whether any person or entity unlawfully interfered with the transfer of power following the 2020 presidential election or the certification of the Electoral College vote held on or about January 6, 2021. The second is the ongoing investigation involving classified documents and other presidential records, as well as the possible obstruction of that investigation, referenced and described in court filings in a pending matter in the Southern District of Florida. I'm joined today by Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco, U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia, Matthew Graves, and Assistant Attorney General for the Criminal Division, Kenneth Polite. Assistant Attorney General for National Security, Matthew Olson, could not be here. He is currently in Germany, representing the department at the G7 Home Affairs and Security Ministerial. U.S. Attorney Graves has been ably leading the investigations into the events leading up to and on January 6. He and dozens of Assistant U.S. Attorneys and other prosecutors have taken on the monumental task of conducting over 900 prosecutions in defense of our democratic institutions. Criminal division prosecutors under the able leadership of Assistant Attorney General Polite have played a significant role in those prosecutions. Assistant Attorney General Olson has been ably leading the team responsible for investigating the matter involving classified documents and other presidential records as well as the possible obstruction of that investigation. All of the career prosecutors assigned to these matters are conducting their work in the best traditions of the Department of Justice. I also want to recognize the efforts of the many FBI agents and other law enforcement personnel who are assigned to these matters. They are working courageously and steadfastly and are serving our nation honorably. I am grateful to them. We all are. The Department of Justice has long recognized that in certain extraordinary cases, it is in the public interest to appoint a special prosecutor to independently manage an investigation and prosecution. Based on recent developments, including the former president's announcement that he is a candidate for president in the next election, and the sitting president's stated intention to be a candidate as well, I have concluded that it is in the public interest to appoint a special counsel. Such an, uh, an appointment underscores the department's commitment to both independence and accountability in particularly sensitive matters. It also allows prosecutors and agents to continue their work expeditiously and to make decisions indisputably guided only by the facts and the law. Let me go ahead and repeat the most important part of this. 
statement from Attorney General Merrick Garland. Before I repeat the most important part here, just a reminder who this guy is. Who is Merrick Garland? Well, he's a former federal judge. And when Justice Antonin Scalia passed away, under some might say mysterious circumstances, Barack Obama appointed Merrick Garland to fill that vacancy on the Supreme Court. And if you paid attention to the news cycle and politics at the time, this was leading up to the 2016 presidential election. And at the time, thankfully, the Republicans had a majority in the United States Senate. And they stopped that nomination, which is their right to do under the constitutional authority granted to the Senate. And they said, no, we're not going to even hold hearings for Merrick Garland. And so they snowballed him. And he did not get appointed to be a Supreme Court justice. And um, I don't know, does uh, Merrick Garland, does, does he hold some sort of resentment for this? Thank goodness he didn't get on there. And so Joe Biden threw the guy a bone and appointed him to be attorney attorney general. This is a guy, to, I don't believe he has any prosecutorial experience at all. He's, he's a judge. Here's the most important thing that he said there. Quote, based on recent developments, including the president's, the former president's announcement that he is a candidate for president in the next election and the sitting president's stated intention to be a candidate as well, I have concluded that it is in the public interest to appoint a special counsel. Let me explain what he's saying here. You got to know what a special counsel is. A special counsel is an attorney appointed to investigate and possibly prosecute. They do have prosecutorial powers in a case in which the Justice Department perceives itself as having some sort of conflict of interest and where and or where it's deemed to be in public interest to have someone outside the government step in and investigate something. So he's saying, you know, you know, Joe Biden is running for president and, and I am his attorney general and they happen to be looking into investigating or looking at Donald Trump. First of all, in the, in the first place, the classified documents that the president allegedly kept at Mar-a-Lago which the president alleged, alleges that simply by taking them with him as president is United, of the United States, that he could declassify whatever he wanted and could take it with him as president. That's that's going to be an interesting, that there's no case there. And he says, if you listen closely, they're going to be looking into January 6th. Since they couldn't get him in the House of Representatives, and since that committee is going away, or not going, it's going to take, a, if they keep that January 6th committee going come January when the Republicans are running the show in the House, it's going to look a lot different. They're actually, it's actually going to be a bipartisan committee and you're going to have some Republicans on that committee that are going to call in people and ask some questions that need to be asked. And so because that's going away, uh, you know, now we're going to have, we're going to look into that as well. So what he's saying here is that the former president, Donald Trump, uh, is going to be running for president. And also Biden looks like he might be running for president too. And so I don't want to be accused of involving myself in partisan politics or influencing an election one way or another. And so I'm going to take a step back and we're going to appoint a special counsel and bring somebody in that's unbiased, that's un that's impartial, and they're going to come in and they're going to investigate and they will get to the bottom of matters. The, the simple fact that they're going to investigate Donald Trump and open a special counsel into what happened on January 6th and this uh, alleged uh, attempt to to thwart uh, the peaceful transition of power and then insurrection. And that on its face right there 
is absolutely ridiculous and partisan to begin with. To even state that, this is obviously uh, very, very partisan. I read this and I understand it. And most people would read this up front not knowing what, if you didn't know what a special counsel was and go, well, holy cow, this guy's saying that because uh, Donald Trump's running for president, we're gonna investigate him. Well, that basically without saying it directly, that's what Merrick Garland said. I can guarantee you if Donald Trump didn't announce that he was going to run, they wouldn't have done this. They would drop it. It wouldn't be an issue. They're after him because he's been on the campaign. Why do you think they raided his place in August, uh, July this last summer? They raided Mar-a-Lago because it looks like he's going to run for president again. Had he not been interested in running for president, had he just said, you know, I'm going to quietly go away. I'm done with politics. I'm done running for president. There would have been no raid. No way. Highly doubt it. I have a previous podcast where I talk about that. Why did the Trump, uh, why, why uh, let me pull it up here. Let me see what's the title of this uh, uh, podcast here. It's uh, was, uh, uh, what's the real reason the FBI raided Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence? And you can pull that up and listen to what I had to say about that, but delve into the whys there of that. So let's go ahead and, and talk here a little bit about uh, two things. First of all, Supposedly, this is going to be a nonpartisan investigation by a special counsel. Who did they task with this? Well, Garland has appointed this guy named Jack Smith, who currently works for the International Court at The Hague, prosecuting war crimes, things like uh, genocide and, and stuff like that. So if uh, Vladimir Putin ever has his day in court, that's probably where it will be, although I doubt that's going to, to happen. So The Hague, International Court, Human Rights Court. So this guy, Jack Smith, well, who, who is he? They went all the way. They, they didn't get anybody in the United States. They didn't choose somebody who is a, a, a prosecutor that's, that's working, has experience in the United States right now with a great track record of uh, recent experience here. They went all the way uh, to Europe, to this international court, pulled this guy who was uh, formerly worked at the Department of Justice. And I'll just tell you up front, he is has a track record of aggressively going after Republicans and Republican politicians and Republican uh, or conservative grassroots groups in, in a very aggressive way while he was at the DOJ. And in 2014, the House Oversight Committee concluded that while he was working at the DOJ, he was the one who arranged a meeting, which was a was was critically important, between his department at the Department of Justice and head of the IRS, Lois Lerner. And if you remember, this was at the time of the Tea Party movement, and you had all of these uh, these grassroots conservative movements across the country that the FBI targeted, and he set that set in motion this targeting of conservative nonprofits that became one of the biggest scandals under the Obama administration. In fact, if it had been if the roles had been switched and it had happened under the Bush administration or take your pick of any other Republican, the president might have been impeached for it. And there would have been a, a special counsel appointed and everything else and it would have it, it very well could have resulted in in some very serious charges. But the House Oversight Committee in 2014 obtained testimony from a Department of Justice official named Richard Pilger that indicated that this Jack Smith set up the meeting between Lerner and the FBI to, uh, quote, discuss more aggressive enforcement of regulations prohibiting tax-exempt groups from engaging in politics in the 
aftermath of the uh, Supreme Court case, Citizens United, they convened a meeting, and this was early in the Obama administration, it was during his first term, and they wanted to discuss, he wanted to discuss how the IRS or the IRS and the FBI could work together in criminal enforcement of campaign finance laws against politically active nonprofit groups. And they went, and as, as you know, they went after these people. So after these groups unjustly and very aggressively and denied them a tax exempt status and, and so on. At the time, the Treasury, after the fact, the Treasury Department Inspector General uh, ultimately concluded that the IRS and the FBI, this pursuit of conservative nonprofits, was absolutely inappropriate. He also was involved in other uh, controversial investigations. He uh, went after a Republican senator, uh, Ted Stevens, and um, was accused of, in that case, of prosecutorial misconduct conduct in this uh, case of alleged corruption against the senator, Republican Senator Stevens. And because of that, he had to drop several, several other pending uh, corruption cases that he was involved with because of his misbehavior in that. So prosecutorial misconduct is when a prosecutor knowingly or unknowingly does something that's inappropriate and breaks the rules and gets caught. And then again, he he worked in the on the prosecution of former Republican Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell. He uh, secured a jury conviction on eleven counts, alleging that the GOP former GOP governor's family accepted gifts in return for public official public acts, and that got challenged. Went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court of the United States reversed that conviction, um, which at the time was a a pretty devastating loss for the Department of Justice and concluded that uh, Smith's Jack Smith's team, the methods that they used were unconstitutional and exceeded the definition in the bribery statutes. And in other words, they went after this Republican governor um, and made stuff up at the at Chief Justice Roberts in his in his decision wrote, and I quote here, there's no doubt that in this that this case is distasteful and it may be worse than that. Uh, he wrote the majority opinion, but our concern is not with tawdry tales of of uh, Ferrari's Rolexes and ball gowns. It is instead with the broader legal implications of the government's boundless interpretation of the federal bribery statute. A more limited interpretation of the term official act leaves ample room for prosecuting corruption while, in, while com comporting with the text of the statute and precedent of the court. The judgment of the Court of Appeals is vacated and the case is remanded for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. So basically, uh, the Supreme Court called them on this. And this is at the time when the Supreme Court, you had Kennedy on the court, and you had four conservatives, four, four liberals, and then you had, uh, well, Roberts, I don't even know if I know what I would call him a conservative, more of a swing vote now, and Justice Kennedy on the court. So uh, this guy that they have appointed to this uh, special counsel investigation of Donald Trump, they have given him carte blanche to go after him down two avenues. And these special counsel investigations are long. They're tedious. I Mark my words, two years from now, Jack Smith will still be digging and they will expand. It happened to Clinton. I mean, they started looking into uh, corrupt dealings under a special counsel, looking into corrupt uh, uh, real estate dealings with the Rose Law Firm and other things in Arkansas under Clinton and they expanded it any which way and he wound up getting impeached for 
uh, other things involving the Monica Lewinsky scandal, uh, perjury and obstruction of dust, justice. This is absolutely a political movement and it's 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 ridiculous let me let's flash back here so i said i wanted to get into basically two two general ideas with this appointment of the pro, uh, this special counsel flashback to summer of 2016 the clinton hillary clinton email case so hillary clinton if you recall had a private server unsecure while she was secretary of state where she stored classified information she communicated by email she, her phones and when she got caught she handed over some of it she just wiped the server had people that work for her wipe it destroyed phones destroyed things that she was supposed to hand over handed over some of it some of it she thought they couldn't get they went through it anyway i'm going to quote from james comey director of the fbi july 2016 at the conclusion of this investigation quote from the group of 30,000 emails returned to the State Department, 110 emails and 52 email chains have been determined by the owning agency to contain classified information at the time they were sent or received. Eight of those chains contained information that was top secret at the time they were sent. 36 chains contained secret information at that time. Eight contained confidential information. About 2,000 additional emails were up classified to make them confidential. The FBI also discovered several thousand work-related emails that were not in the original group of 30,000 that were returned by Secretary Clinton uh, to the State Department in 2014. We found those additional emails in a variety of ways. Some had been deleted over the years, and we found traces of them on devices that supported or were connected to the private email domain. Others we found by reviewing the archived government email accounts of people who had been government employees at the same time as Hillary Clinton including high-ranking officials at other agencies with whom a Secretary of State might naturally correspond. This helped us recover work-related emails that were not among the 30,000 produced to state. Still others we recovered from the laborious review of the millions of email fragments dumped into the slack space of the server decommissioned in 2013. And so I'm going to skip ahead here. Again, James Comey. So let me pause for a moment before I skip ahead. Hillary Clinton knowingly, and, and he says here, Comey says that they did not find, quote, clear evidence that Secretary Clinton or her colleagues intended to violate laws governing the handling of classified. And they didn't mean to do all of this. And she had a server in her house and she kept information on it and she used her private phones and things like this. No encryption, no security. And she passed, you know, they found some of it. They didn't find all of it classified, highly classified information openly. And they say that you know, there's no, no, no indication that her or her colleagues intended to violate laws concerning the governing of handling, handle of the handling of classified information. They were careless. That's what they said. Well, let's see what, let me skip ahead here. Finally, with our, again, quote, James Comey, quote, July, 2016. Finally, with respect to our recommendation to the Department of Justice, in our system, the prosecutors make the decisions about whether charges are appropriate based on the evidence the FBI has helped collect. Although we don't normally make public our recommendations to the prosecutors, we frequently make recommendations and engage in productive conversations with prosecutors about what resolution may be appropriate given the evidence. 
In this case, given the importance of the matter, I think unusual transparency is in order. Although there is evidence of potential violations of the statutes regarding the handling of classified information, our judgment, in other words, the judgment of James Comey and the FBI, is that no reasonable prosecutor would bring such a case. Prosecutors necessarily weigh a number of factors before bringing charges. There are obvious considerations like the strength of the evidence, especially regarding intent. Oh, she didn't mean to do all of these things. Oh, she, I mean, she said she didn't know. She was, she was secretary of state. She should have known. If I had done, while I was on active duty in the Air Force, lower enlisted scum, intelligence analyst, Russian cryptologic linguist, if I had done what she did, if I had passed top secret information, secret information over a personal email, through a personal email, if I had taken it out of a secure place, if I had in any way, if I had done anything remotely close to what she did, they would have thrown the book at me and I would still be in jail. The reason that the FBI didn't appoint a special counsel in the Hillary Clinton case, and James Comey admitted this later, was because she was a presidential candidate and he did not want to interfere, supposedly, with that candidacy. If a special counsel was warranted under or is, is warranted in this case with Donald Trump because he's a presidential candidate than it was for Hillary Clinton. But you see, but you see, Hillary was supposed to win. She was supposed to win. Trump was not supposed to win. So it's okay to throw the book at him. Article. Uh, here's an article from August. This is shortly uh, after this is voanews.com, left-leaning site. FBI, Justice Department, routinely prosecute misuse of classified documents. Let me skip down here. Since 2005, the FBI and the Justice Department have launched at least 11 such investigations, some targeting high-profile former U.S. officials, including a former national security advisor and a former CIA director. Others who have been prosecuted or have pleaded guilty or were convicted include Defense Department employees, defense contractors, employees or contractors with the FBI, the CIA, and the National Security Agency. Here's a list of some notable cases, not all, but some. April 2005, uh, former National Security Advisor Sandy Berger pleaded guilty to knowingly removing classified documents from the National Archives. March 2013, retired Lieutenant Colonel Benjamin Pierce Bishop was arrested in Hawaii and charged with one count of unlawfully retaining documents related to national defense. March 2015, retired U.S. Army General David Petraeus, a former CIA director, pleaded guilty to one count of unauthorized removal and retention of classified material. Uh, by the way, they sentenced him to a fine of $100,000 and two years of probation. July 2015, United States Navy reservist was sentenced to two years of probation and a $77,500 fine after he pleaded guilty to downloading and storing classified documents from his deployment to Afghanistan. M March of this year, 2022, NSA employee charged with mishandling of classified information. A guy named Mark Uchenholz, uh, 60 years old, was arrested, was charged uh, with using his personal email address to send information that was 
classified as secret and top secret to somebody else's private email address on several occasions between February 2018 and June 2020. The recipient of these emails also held a top secret security clearance and for all intents and purposes, should have been able to have access to this information. But he passed it over personal email and he knew better than to do that. He was indicted on 13 counts of willfully transmitting national defense information and 13 counts of willfully retaining national defense information for doing this. And each of those counts carries a maximum prison sentence of 10 years. Let that sink in. The 60-year-old guy on who's, who's probably worked his entire career here at the NSA should have known better, but he sent to a colleague, uh, he emailed to a colleague secret and top secret information and got caught. And this man is going to be probably go to jail for the rest of his life for doing this. 13 counts, maximum maximum of 10 years for each. Do the math. That's 130 years. Even if they give him half that, the guy's going to jail for the rest of his life. Don't tell me that the Secretary of State didn't know what she was doing. It's absolutely political, and this is a stinking witch hunt. This is a political witch hunt. They're scared to death of Donald Trump being elected, and that's my analysis of this situation. And probably if you're out there listening to talk radio and other things, you're going to hear the same thing. But that's my spin on it. And hopefully I broke it down and I explained it and explained it to you in a way that's understandable. It's an outrage uh, what's happening here. And we'll wrap it up with that. We'll leave it with that. And uh, feel free to share this with, with people, please. By all means, share, post this, uh, share it out on social media and things like that. If you want to contact me, the uh, best way to do it is to look up Smith Talk, my podcast on uh, Truth Social is uh, the site where Trump is at. Um, I don't spend a lot of time on there looking at it, but if you do message me on Truth Social, you have a, something you want to say or comment on, uh, you can find me there. But thanks for listening. I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. We are truly blessed to live in this great land. And the framers of our Constitution, the founders, founding fathers, gave us a way to fix things and right the ship peacefully through our political process. And part of that is exercising our First Amendment right like I'm doing right now. God bless you all, and God bless our country, and happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>